Welcome to Art During Wartime. Our guest today is Ukrainian opera singer and artist of the Honored Academic Ensemble of Song and Dance of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, Vladimir Shur. Hi, Volva. Nice to meet you. And thank you for joining the podcast. Hello. Hello. Nice to meet you, too. I'd like to talk a little bit about your background before we go any further. So can you tell our listeners what kind of music you perform? I'm opera singer. I'm professional opera singer. We have a very specific audience. Ukraine is not only Vyshevanka and uh, Hopak and Borsh. We have to tell the world that we highly educated highly cultural country. We have academic art, yes? We have um, uh, classical music, we have classical literature and uh, all of this. And a long, long, beautiful tradition of classical music and, yes. and art as well too. Some of our composers from very deep classicism were studied with Mozart, we have very rich history. Not every Ukrainian know how rich <laughs> our history is, you know. You are a bass singer, the lowest vocal range for males. I'm um, fascinated with that. How did you find your voice in the bass range? I'm from music family, from musical family. Uh, both of my parents are professional musicians. Parents of my mother, both a uh, professional musician. They are music teachers. My grandfather was the director of uh, local philharmonic in my native town um, in the western part of Ukraine. Music was everywhere in my childhood. I had no choice. I wanted to be a scientist, I wanted to be a lawyer, uh, a doctor, I don't know, a priest, uh, but not musician. I was uh, raised in adoration of music, but I wasn't thinking about, uh, thinking about this. But then, in music school, I, of course, I was studying in music school, I was a pianist, I was a clarinetist, I wasn't a singer. There was uh, some course when we started to discover different operas, Ukrainian national opera, um, Italian operas, uh, French, uh, no, classic. And I uh, was thinking, why not? Why not? I started to sing with them, sing with, the, uh, with that great singers, of course, basses, because it was after my mutation of my voice, I was, I was silence. And after this, on this lesson of music literature, I started to sing with the singers, and I liked it. Um, for some reason, people liked it. That was very surprising for me. And I started to think about, um, maybe I should get some coach, maybe I should get some teacher. And uh, it turned out that I have some some ability. A gift? No, not a gift. Gift uh, that's about Mira. Gift that's about Pavarotti. I have abilities, <laughs> and I'm trying to use it. I'm a realist. I think that it is much more interesting to be a hard worker than a genius. When you're a genius, you were born. You started to work. 
nobody understand you, you drink a lot, you die. Uh, but, but when you are hard working, you know how, you know why, you know for whom, and I think it is much more stable. Maybe you will not stuck in the history of music, maybe you will not be the most famous singer in, in your country, but uh, you will do a lot of work, it, and it is very satisfying for me. How do you prepare your, your voice for singing? Do you have some exercises that you could let us hear? So every morning I have to relax my diaphragma. I have to relax my neck. The worst enemy of any singer is his neck. I had never heard that before. Why is that? We're always joking. Uh, if there were not uh, any neck, it would be great. If after shoulders or <laughs> head, it, it would be great because neck um, stop the sound. Because when your neck is constricted, when your shoulders is constricted, um, first of all, it is not very um, pleasant to look. You have to be relaxed in the sight of audience, mm -hmm. and it will um, will make much better influence to them when you sing. Then we talk about mouth, tongue, and everything like that, resonators, chest resonance, head resonance, balance of it. Music, music, is, and especially opera singing is something between science, sport, of course art, and you have to boil in this every day without any choice. That is beautiful. <laughs> I'd like Vova to explain to our listeners a little bit more about Ukrainian opera. What makes it unique? The key is in language, I think so. That's all because Ukrainian language is very useful for singing, like Italian language. In Ukrainian words, in, in Ukrainian language in general, you have a lot of opened... Um, endings of uh, words. When you say in English uh, love, you say love. When you say love in Ukrainian, you say люблю. It is open word. It is much right. more easier to sing. And it is a great base for uh, composers, for poets, for writers. It is singing language. And it is also a base for uh, raising a great uh, and a large amount of opera singers. Because even in Russian Empire, the largest part of opera uh, singers were Ukrainians. Hmm. That's all because of the language at first. The climate. You know, R Russia is very cold. Ukraine is not. We have very warm seas. We have uh, a lot of um, sunshine. It helps us to grow some vegetables and to grow some great opera singers. <laughs> like in Italy. Much like Italy, in yes, fact, I guess. Yes. I never really drew the, uh, the relationship to the weather like that. But that's, that's exactly... Italy has fantastic weather, similar to Ukraine in a lot of ways, right? Absolutely. 
Italy a little bit better because it is surrounded by sea and fresh sea air is very important for your vocal cords. The weather, food, it is very important. Fresh food, a lot of vitamins. Mm -hmm. Because opera singer, he's like sportsman. You have to be a very strong person because you sing not only with your voice. You sing with your whole body. Mm. My professor, um, Sergei Kovner, great modern bass of National Opera of Ukraine, he um, always say, I'm not tired here. I'm tired everywhere. Especially if it is very, very, very big part in opera, you know. We have a lot of interesting operas which is not performed in Ukraine, which are not performed in Europe. For a long time it was forbidden. A lot of works uh, were hidden by composers because because of uh, communists. Oh, this was during the, the Soviet Union? Yes, the, the largest amount of Ukrainian operas were uh, written during this period of time. Com- com- communist regime. And uh, it is very hard to uh, f- for composer to make what he wants, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Only now we discover some great um, works of music, great pieces of music, and we are able to perform it and uh, develop uh, some new tradition of performing of these operas. We have all chances to create Ukrainian opera singing school. You know, like Italian bel canto, uh, German Wagnerian singing, French school of singing. And even now we already have opportunity to show it because uh, the base of um, large amount um, opera productions in the world is Italians and Ukrainians. It is very hard not to find some Ukrainian or Italian uh, surname in the list of uh, performers, you know? Mm-hmm. And it is not because of war. We were singing there for a long time, for decades. Volvo, you mentioned something that I know our um, Western listeners are going to be fascinating with in that Ukrainian opera was banned by the communist authorities, the Soviet authorities. We often in the West are familiar with Beatles albums being banned, you know, the Rolling Stones being banned in the Soviet Union. I don't think a lot of people are aware that Ukrainian music as you say, Ukrainian opera was was banned and 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 made to go underground. Why why were the communist authorities frightened of Ukrainian opera? Answer is very simple because um, during the whole uh, history of uh, Ukrainian fight the Russian, the answer was uh, hate, hate and fear. They hate us. They have been always hating us. Uh, why? Because uh, we are breathing with freedom. Because we can't live without freedom. Freedom is our life and that drives them crazy. 
And uh, it is not a story of uh, last hundred years. Yeah, it is a story of hundreds and hundreds of years. So not only opera, any kind of art uh, during the communist regime uh, were banned if it uh, has even a little bit of possibility that this piece of art tell us that Ukrainian is not um, a part of Russia. Poets were shorted. Writers were shorted. Uh, composers were shorted. You know, the great composer uh, Leontovich, which uh, have written Shedrick, Carol of Bells. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was yes, sh- we're very familiar with that in the West, maybe more than any other comp- composition from Ukrainian. The, the most, the most uh, famous composition the most the most famous composition in the world uh, uh, during the uh, winter time i think so ukrainian sure. folk song ukrainian fo- folk song which were uh, arran- uh, arranged by um, leontovich and leontovich was shot by the communists in his uh, own house terrible story And, 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 and it is not only story. A large amount of artists had to cope with this. So Ukrainian opera art is not exception, but part of system of destroying Ukrainian nation in a cultural way. So in 1991, when the Soviet Union collapsed and Ukraine gained its independence, how did that affect opera? Did opera finally have its chance to come out into the light? And, and were there performances of previously banned Ukrainian operas? Did it undergo a renaissance? Well, first of all, uh, finally, Ukrainian o- opera singers um, could... Um, go abroad because during the Soviet Union there was some very strict um, bands for um, mm-hmm. Ukrainian singers even very famous singers could not afford uh, to travel could not afford to, to um, sing even in Europe even some even in some list of European countries I do not say about the American Because it is always, it always was uh, the possibility of uh, not returning back, you know. And uh, communists were afraid of this, so we were conservated here. We had to cope with this by ourselves, and then after independence. Oh, 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 contracts, tours, our national opera theaters had a lot of tours around the world. And uh, then Ukrainians uh, became in demand like, uh, like Italians. We had the great opportunity to develop. We have, we still have this opportunity because we have a lot of work to do in our opera art in our opera theaters. There is a lot of freedom, but um, there is some lack of management, as, as always. So a lot of work, and it is great. 
we have the opportunity to develop not only get these fruits but to grow these fruits you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Volvo, you are a singer of the Ukrainian Armed Forces Ensemble. Uh, Tell us about it more. What can you tell us about the ensemble, what it does, and where do you usually sing, and what kind of repertoire do you perform? It is a great phenomena in some way, because it is a large group of professional artists. That's a choir, that's orchestra, that's ballet. Uh, something about 100 people. The first uh, task of our ensemble is to uh, raise moral of our soldiers, of Ukrainians at all. Uh, especially during the war, we make a lot of uh, different musical projects um, uh, with the great Ukrainian songs. We made some uh, clips. And I think it is very, very, very not bad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, some some time ago, when there were 90 people in choir, you can imagine 90 powerful men's voices. There are only men in choir, as -hmm. it was. Uh, The effect is petrifying. People around the world were crying because of uh, not understanding how it can be. Because all of these 90 people could make forte, could make piano, could make some um, fabulous music phrase. It's not not, uh, the simple choir. It was music of very high quality. And even now, a lot of people which are working in our ensemble is also great uh, solists. We have uh, opera singers, as me. I'm opera singer, but I'm singing in the choir of this ensemble, not solist. So you can imagine how sound solists of this ensemble if there there is opera singers in choir. So unity is great, and uh, we are representing our um, our uh, culture. Not in world now because we do not have tours, but um, even for Ukrainian, it is very important. Why is that? You you mentioned it lifts the morale of 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 the army. Can you can you talk about that? Why it's so important? Uh, you know, we are trying to make uh, these songs, these videos, um, according to the uh, situation on the east. If there is some um, huge battles planned, if there is some um, success, um, we, we have to make the effect of this um, of this news stronger. Four soldiers, four people. We have success. Array, song, uh, some great videos, uh, very cinematic videos. They are available on YouTube uh, and you can listen to this. So it is a professional group of artists which represent armed force. The main um, task for us as for artists to 
accent the attention of whole world on that fact that we are fighters, but we are fighters in the name of uh, our freedom. So all this uh, military theme in our ensemble is to, to explain this. We are protecting. We are fighting to protect. We are fighting for our lives, for our freedom, for our borders, for our children, for Ukrainian culture, for Ukraine. Vova, you are vice president of a very important foundation. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and the singer whose foundation this is named after? This Boris Gmiria Foundation. Boris Gmiria was a legendary, great opera and chamber singer of uh, Ukraine during the Soviet times. He had very tough life. He had uh, a lot of problems with the authorities um, because some consequences. And you know, I want to be objective. I have listened a lot of different opera singers. I know old Italian singers and all American singers, but Hamiria uh, is number one. Some music theorists will agree with me. The method and the way of working with these artists is unique. At first, he was a genius by nature. Uh, at second, he was hard worker. There is no such a singer in uh, Ukrainian history, and not even Ukrainian history, with, uh, which had such a large repertoire. What year was he performing? He started his career very late. He came to the Music Academy of Kharkiv when he was 33 years old, I think so. What year was this approximately? What year? 30s, 30s, I think 30s. And he uh, had a very rapid uh, success. He was, he was studying uh, in two universities in one time. He was uh, deep in his knowledge as an engineer. And he was developing as an opera singer. And uh, it was shock <laughs> for his professor. After some time, after the war, after he had a great success as an opera singer in Soviet Union, his teacher said to him, I think that everything is go to the fact that you will become a god. His professor said to him, you know, the very common problem among the opera singers, not of them are very clever. That, that, that is the big problem for artists, but not very big problem for opera singer. If you have a large voice, if you have a beautiful overtones, you will cope with this. But Gmiria had everything. He had a great, hard-working intellect. He had a talent. He had a genius of this singing. I always compare him to our, our poet Taras Shevchenko because during their hard lives, they had only 10 years 
of uh, productive and um, unstoppable work. Only 10 years. Only 10 years. Such a short career. There was one war. There was a second war. There was Holodomor. Could you explain what that is for our listeners, what the Holodomor is that, that uh, he survived? Holodomor is an act of, um, of artificial starvation. Millions, millions and millions of Ukrainians starved to death. There was a, a few of period, a few of these starvations, not only one. There was, it was systematically uh, pr provided by Soviet Union. And uh, Myria mm, uh, was alive just because he was living in a, in a city. During Holodomor, mm, a lot of his relatives uh, died. His father was dead. His sisters was dead. Uh, he saved his mother. Accidentally, in the last hours, he, mm, he brought to her some milk. He came to his uh, home village from the city and he brought some food to her. And she survived. You know, all this stuff war wars fighting with authorities fighting with the colleagues uh, a lot of jealous uh, singers uh, holodomor all this made him stronger but in the same time it was destroying him from the inside i think he could live much more longer if there wasn't such a challenge in his life. He always had to fight for ability to work. He didn't want money. He didn't want to be famous. He wanted to sing. He wanted to bring Ukrainian song, Ukrainian music to the audience. He was great art theorist. He has written a lot of articles about opera singing, about uh, Ukrainian folk songs, about uh, cooperation with the modern composers of his time. He's a great example of hardworking artists. Now I am located in a museum which were uh, made on the base of um, apartment of this singer. And everything was prepared for showing for peoples for fans of uh, this great singer, he uh, passed away in 1969. And after that, his wife and um, her niece, which is now the president of foundation, they started to um, prepare all of his materials for publishing. They had written a lot of books about Myria. They produced some CD discs with the, you know, with the recordings of this singer because during his lifetime there were published 250, around 250 vinyl recordings of the singer. Incredible, incredible. 250 hmm. recordings and uh, 
and 120 reissues of these recordings, a large amount of music. And all of these recordings were made to sell it abroad. You couldn't find the recordings of Amelia in Soviet Union. All of it was sold in Europe, in America. If you will come to the museum of La Scala, to the you know backstage of La Scala, you will find that there is all recordings of Miria in La Scala in Milano. Italians listen Incredible. to to the Incredible. Ukrainian singer, which uh, which had never seen in foreign languages, never. He always sing even uh, some world classic pieces, areas, uh, romances, only in Ukrainian or Russian. He was not allowed to sing uh, foreign languages. That's all because during the war time he was trapped in Kharkiv in uh, Nazi occupation. And he was very highly appreciated by Germans. He had no choice. He had to sing in theater during the occupation. He was a solace of uh, Kharkiv Opera Theater during the war time. Then he moved to Kiev, then he moved to Kamenets Podilsky. And uh, after the victory, he had a lot of problems because of it. He was in the traditore. Traditore. Traitor. You know. I know how, how to say it in Italian, but I don't know how to say it in English. So he, he, he wasn't a traitor. Germans wanted to get him to the Germany during the war. They wanted him to be the solace of German opera theaters. They uh, have written a lot of articles to some rulers of Nazi regime about that Khmeria is basso absoluto, his abilities of singing, his abilities of um, representing the feelings of um, this music piece is fantastic, and no one in the world has such uh, abilities. But he said no. He always was um, pretending ill, or um, he uh, tried to find some reasons not to move and uh, and then and then and then victory he came back to the um, normal ukraine because of deoccupation of ukraine and uh, jealous uh, enemies of this singer started to treat him like a traitor there was a lot of uh, mystifications like, oh, Miria, he was singing to the Hitler, he is a traitor, he is a fascist, he is a... That all was a great lie, you know. It wasn't true. He adored Ukraine, Ukrainian culture. I, I don't know if there is any Ukrainian singer which uh, have been recorded such a great amount of Ukrainian folk songs. Vovak, I see why he's your uh, your hero, 
and and mentor. Uh, I can very clearly see why such an inspirational singer like that had a huge impact on you. I would like to ask you about the war now and that terrible day, February 24th, 2022. Do you recall where you were on that day? You know, it was very fruitful period of my life. I had a premiere of Fidelio. I had a premiere of Other uh, Regime Possessed. I, I had a lot of concerts. I had a lot of work. And uh, the evening before uh, the Great War started, it was Septetto from the Italiana in Algeria, Rossini. It was very funny. We were very happy people because we were working. And then, six o'clock, friend of mine, Marina, rush, rushes into our room with my neighbor and say, I do not know what to say, but look at this. And phone with the scrolling uh, news. Putin started war. Putin started war. Bombs. We we have not hear some bombings. We were sleeping peacefully, but news. Our parents called to us, and and they say the war had begun. Well, the war had begun much more earlier in 2014. Yes, but. It was a shock. I do not remember what I was thinking about, but it was shock. I couldn't believe that there really can be such a dumb people. I, I, I'm optimist, you know. I always try to explain myself that well, it, it cannot be so bad. The situation is cannot be such awful. That's all your own overthinking. Well, we, we uh, were in Kiev for a few days. On the first day, uh, after we woke up uh, in our dormitory, I uh, had to do some, some meeting. I had to go to the hospital to my uh, friend. And I remember very clearly the weather of that day. Uh, there was the sky of milk color, very, very thick uh, clouds, not any uh, patch of blue sky. No, well, it is winter in Ukraine. It was very creepy weather. And I'm talking uh, by phone with my friend in my hometown. And he asking me, Vova, what will you do? Will you return or stay there? After shock, I was relaxed a little bit. Nothing is bombing. Nothing is happening. There are no Russians in Kiev. I am relaxed. And after that, the awful noise, the sound of something flying above my head. And Vlad is talking something, and I say, shut up, please, shut up, shut up, wait a minute, shut up. And I do something like that and think, well, that's all. 
That's all. I will die on that bloody hill in Kiev near the hospital. Yeah, that is my uh, finale. <laughs> Grande finale. <laughs> but no, it was our plane, uh, battle plane. It was flying around. I was like, come on, not now. No, I do nothing in my life. I, I cannot die in such a dumb situation. Not now, please. It was frustrating. And then it uh, flies away and I take home. Yes, yes, lot. Everything is okay. Everything is okay. I will stay in Kiev. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> As if nothing had happened. I was petrified. I can't, I can't say what kind of emotion I was. I was scared in morning when I uh, just um, saw this news. I was really scared. And I was scared then, after that, when uh, bombing of Kiev started, when Russians uh, came to Kiev, when uh, they were in my part of Kiev, and I could, from the window of my dormitory, look at the Russian tank, which was riding near the trolley bus. Trolley bus and near tank. Trolley bus and tank. That was very comic, but in the same time, it was pretty terrifying. It is very uh, popular video when tank go through the car in Kiev. Go over top of it, yes, we saw yes. that on the news. It was yeah. filmed from the window of, of my dormitory. Oh my gosh. You can imagine. That was one of the first tragic scenes we saw in, in the yes. West on, on well, TV. F f the man is alive. The man from this uh, car is alive. He survived. It's this uh, great uh, happiness uh, for all of us. Yes, he survived it too. That was an amazing story. Yeah. Volvo, I wanted to know how the war has affected you personally and your work. So the answer is in question. I understood that I have even less time for work than before it. So, uh, I don't know, I became more patient. I became more empathetic to people, even more. I wasn't asshole before war, but I, I became even more kind person <laughs> during the wartime. I started to work uh, much more. Everything changed. People around me have changed. As an artist, I know that it is not very good, but I'm trying to listen the conversations of people around me in the city to collect the interesting characters, uh, interesting words, emotions, and some objects for stage. And uh, before war, I was so tired of conversation about money. Everything was about money, not only in Ukraine. When I was visiting some foreign countries, money, 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 money. But now people talk about people. And I understood how much it is important. Because when I uh, moved to the Kiev, when I was 17, I was surprised in a good way. I was surprised that people don't care here. It is a big city. People do not care about people. Because when in my hometown, 
I am walking. It's very different, I'm sure. Yeah, yes, from yes, a small yes. town to a big city. My face with this mustache and my coat and my scarf—it is such entertainment for natives. You can imagine. But in Kiev, no one gives at all, and I was happy about this. But now, people are interested in people. People are looking at people, people listening to people. Such a strong connection. And in some days, when I feel so much more as usual, I think you understand what what I'm talking about, I can feel that Ukrainians, it is a one huge organism, some kind of organism. Uh, in which every part is fighting every part every part of this organism uh, want to you know cry as loud as as possible about the about the all these awful things um, and in the same time um, tell everybody about the beauty of your country because um, What I like in Ukrainians that we not only want to save our lives, that very um, important but very primitive. You know, life is life. We're afraid. Oh, ugh. But we're afraid so much about the culture. We're afraid so much about the nature. Every killed animal Every destroyed zoo, I don't know, every burnt wood, every burnt forest, which is a great pain of a large amount of people. The war will end. And then will be much more interesting fight. Fight for establishment of Ukraine as a country of high culture, country of of very complicated history. And this fighting and this war in cultural level will be much more important. That's a perfect note to end the podcast on. I have just one last question for you. How do you imagine Victory Day? There will be a lot of tears days and days of tears not only tears of happiness of course but also grief and i think that um, you know history of our country is uh, is packed with the grief grief of holodomor grief of some anti-ukrainian politic of russian empire and uh, austrian empire But this grief will be the greatest because I think that this war, it is a climax of establishment of our country as an independent country. We were going to it for hundreds of years. By the way, the document which we can name the first Ukrainian constitution was written before American. Some interesting fact. I did not know that. 
Yeah, Philip Orlik, he was trying to make in the uh, 18th century an independent Ukraine, but the um, Russian Empire destroyed everything, as uh, it always do. So we were going to it very long time. It will be absolutely new country, in absolutely new world. I believe that all stuff which is happening around us today will change the way of thinking, the way of actioning, the way of everything. And it will be interesting. And Ukrainian opera, what will be the future of Ukrainian opera after the war? It will be fabulous. I think that the bigger uh, part of Ukrainian operas, which uh, will be very famous and um, popular around the world, still is not written. That is great. That a is lot a, of work, a, great a lot future. of great work. You know, this, this word of uh, uh, this day and uh, word of my life, work. 